You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. All right, and welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond, your favorite podcast for gaming and much more. I'm your host, Justin, and I'm here with my compadres, Dan and Jason. Hey, hey. How's it going? All right, we um, have a good show for you. We had a bit of a break. You may not see it in the episodes just because we'll be posting one after the other, but we had a little bit of a break because of uh, some gaming conventions and other things going on. But we're live to you right now with some news that you can use and um, kind of what we're ha- what we're doing in our Geek Week. So let's, let's kick it off with Geek Week. Uh, Dan, how was your Geek Week? It was pretty great. Um... Got to uh, play in Android Genesis in our ongoing campaign, which was pretty fantastic. It's maturing along and um, having a great time. And I also ran a um, uh, the first episode of a three-part Star Wars uh, three-shot uh, mini arc. Had a great turnout. Everybody had a blast. And uh, I don't know. Jay was there. Jay, no, Jay. Were you there? Um, yeah. Yes, I was. Yeah, so I... I don't know. I wasn't Jay, there. Jay may be able to contest whether or not everybody had a blast, but oh, it was I, I thought it was time. well received. Yeah, lots of fun. I'm, I'm bummed I missed it, but uh, I knew I wasn't getting any brownie points to get there with a gaming convention in Las Vegas, so it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So tell us about Vegas. Uh, yeah, so Jason and I went to Las Vegas for the Las Vegas Open, um, which is a big tabletop war gaming convention. They've it's primarily forty k. I think what they say, Jason, they had eight hundred and eighty forty k players there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a hundred and seventy ish uh, Age of Sigmar players there, and then there was a smattering of you know like War Hordes, War Machine, Bolt Action, Team Infinity. Yankee, Infinity. Yep. I mean, those were all smaller, smaller games. I'd probably say those games max were like thirty people. You yeah, know, maybe. there was some Legion there too. Yeah, there was some Star Wars Legion, and and oh, uh, there was X Wing. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, for those of you that are familiar with the big co- uh, conventions like Nova Open or Adepticon, I mean, Las Vegas Open is like the one of the big war gaming conventions. So, um. I thought we did pretty good. Um, I went, I won three games, lost two. Uh, the two guys I lost to both finished in the top twenty, so I was much happier with my performance here at the Las Vegas Open than I um, did at the Nova Open. And my army is Night Haunt, which are like a bunch of ghosts, and I ended up getting best Night Haunt, which means I did the best uh, with yeah. my army out of everybody who well, played that army. Congrats, well man. Yeah, thanks. I was happy about that. I was surprised, actually, when they called my name. I was too, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. I was very happy for you. It was cool to play with nationally ranked uh, people. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. How how did you feel your games were, Jason? Oh, they were a lot of fun. Uh, I got creamed in one game really hard. But besides that, every game I played, it was people that were in good spirits uh and really enjoyed uh playing i will say that we had one what game that one game that was a little rough with the uh the person but most of the most of the thing that's what i love about this game age of sigmar is that most everyone i play is there to have fun and to be polite and cordial with you at the table that that might actually be another topic of conversation for us like a more in-depth hockey which is kind of the um the environments in the community and the mm-hmm. communities of some of these different games. Cause um, you know, 40 K has a reputation. 
uh, X-Wing Dan, you could probably talk about the kind of the community aspect of that. Age of Sigmar's got a reputation. Yeah, um, they all have their own kind of reps on their cultures that are surround them. So, yeah, maybe that's another topic for another day of, like, why some of the, you know, cultures are the way they are and what makes a good culture. So, huh. yeah, Fly casual, go. man. That's X-Wing's motto, fly casual. <laughs> Very cool. Um, uh, yeah, so any other Geek Week things, Jason? Yeah, man. So, uh, two, I'll just highlight two things. Uh, one, I got an email for the Gunfights and Gambling Six Shooter expansion, and, and I don't know if any of you have ever played Gunfights and Gambling. It's a little indie game. A, a guy and his wife actually that were going to uh, they they started with a Kickstarter a couple of years ago, and then decided um, they actually pulled the Kickstarter and said, you know, we're just going to do it ourselves. So they created a little company called Mid Level Meeple, and you can just go to midlevelmeeple.com. And you can see Gunfights and Gambling. It's a really fun game. It's a four-player game. Uh, my family loves it. My kids love it. My wife even plays it with us at times. Uh, this is when, the one that we played at Adepticon, or not Adepticon, at uh, Catacon, right? Yep, Catacon, yeah. So it's a, it's oh, what really? you would that think. One? It's a Western game with, you know, shooting pistols and drinking beer and, you know, or whiskey and, and burning down the town, and it's just a fun little game. But anyways, they released an expansion that now brings it to six players, adds in some extra buildings, and some other things. So it, I'm, I'm excited for it. Uh, it's only fifteen bucks for the expansion. I think the base game is only like thirty bucks. So it's a really cheap buy-in for a fun game. I'd recommend you check it out. I remember when you got it, I thought that that was a good buy. And the only reason I didn't get it is because I expected to play it with you, which right. I haven't. <laughs> so there's well, that. I've got it. We, anytime. The other uh, thing I wanted to pull up, um, my Geek Week is not gaming related, but I want to do a call out. Is my, my wife's out of town. I'm playing Mr. Mom this week. And uh, usually when that happens, I have a hard time going to bed. Um, and so I was up just kind of browsing Hulu for some movies. And Hulu had, um, they had added uh, a t- 2018 movie called Prospect which uh, is a sci-fi movie. It's a coming-of-age movie. Um, really, really recommend you check it out. It's got a really kind of like an enemy mind feeling, if those of you who can think back to that. that oh, I movie. love that. Love that. Yeah. With Dennis Quaid? Yep. It, yeah. That, 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 the, so this movie is about you know a girl, a young girl and her father who are basically like uh, they mine for special minerals on planets. And I won't get into too much detail, but they're down on this kind of like inhospitable planet where you've got to wear, like, you know, breathing filters and stuff. And it's just about, you know, early on her father gets into kind of a a fight and tries to rob some people, and he gets killed, and she has to survive basically in this inhospitable planet with one of the thugs that killed her father throughout the whole movie. And it's just kind of how their relationship develops in a a real interesting sci-fi setting. So recommend check it out on IMDb. Um, Really cool. Uh, Really enjoyed that movie. What's the name? Prospect. So... And this is interesting, and we could have a whole nother talk about this in, uh, in terms of ratings in the gaming industry. This movie is rated R, but there is nothing in this movie that makes it needed to be rated R. I mean, huh. absolutely nothing. There's no sex, there's no nudity, there's like 10 cuss words, and not even like bad cuss words, if you think of that, whatever that means. There's nothing. There's n- absolutely nothing in the movie that means it needs to be rated R. And it was an indie film. Or, or not well, not an indie film, but it was based off of like a 14-minute short of the same name from a couple of years prior. Interesting. Yeah, it's just another another discussion for another time is how the rating system is 
I think a little bit biased and not not really directly uh, applicable to um, a lot of things. But anyways, great movie. Very cool. Well, when I got back from Las Vegas Open, I put my models to the side and said I'm not going <gasps> to touch them for a little while. <laughs> yeah, I was a little burned out after all the games that we played, which was, hey, which too, was totally man. fine. Mine are still um, boxed up. Yeah, mine are too. So <laughs> um, I ended up picking up where I left off with Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I've been kind of working through that. If any of you know me, I am like Mr. Completionist. So like every little question mark, and there's like probably a thousand little question marks in this game that I have to go explore and complete because that's just who I am with some of my video games. So I've been working through that, and um, I am... Now on season 15 of Supernatural. I have binged it over the last year. I'm getting caught up. I'm almost to the live shows now. And, man, it's been a ride with that show. It's been a real ride. It's a fun show. Yeah, it's a great show. So it Makes you want to play Shadow of the Demon Lord now, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's a, it's a great show. So um, It's great I, to get inspiration for, like individual like one-offs for like a fantasy setting those episodes are great contained story modules yep. you know what i mean like story there's a problem that happens um you got to try to figure out what's going on there's once a monster you, at the end yeah once you kind of figure out what it is it's not quite what you think it is and so you know i mean they're, they're great self-contained kind of sleuth stories that have monsters in them so mm-hmm. if you're ever wondering like what am i going to do for you know my campaign for a session, for a couple of sessions, uh, check out an episode of Supernatural. It's a kind of show, too, that you can turn it on halfway through and still follow it. It's mm-hmm. not, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what's going on here. There's two dudes who are brothers who are fighting monsters. And when you first hear about Leviathans, you can just skip two seasons. <laughs> Ugh. Such uh, a drag. Hey, I got one more Geek Week thing. Yeah, what's up, man? I bought my Gen Con four-day pass. Oh, there we go. That is a pretty big one. So part of of what prompted us to start a podcast like this is that we um, get a group of guys together every year to go to uh, big Gen Con, obviously, and maybe some other conventions and things like that. But Gen Con is kind of our big one that we do. Um, And we started our Guild 9 gaming group from that year that we all, like, nine of us went to Gen Con, right? And so um, you'll definitely hear a lot more about what's coming up and what how we plan for Gen Con. In fact, that'll probably be another episode in the next couple that we should probably get into, like, how do you prep for Gen Con? Yeah. So, but yeah, tickets are out now. If you don't have them, get them. They tend to sell out, especially the four-day pass ones. So, um, You get yeah, a GM, Dan? No, I never do. I've, I haven't GM'd at a con that big. I've GM'd at smaller cons. So, um, for me, I, I just, I, I kind of need more freedom than, like, being locked in mm-hmm. and the stress of yeah. putting on a game. Yeah, Justin and I GM'd one uh, year at Gen Con. We did Shadow of the Demon Lord, and it was a ton of fun. But I'm with you. I felt, I had a lot of fun, and it was, it was gaming, and it was great to game with people around the table. I just want also a little bit more freedom uh in terms of being able to just find something and be like you know i just want to play that right now yeah i'm in charge of a lot of things at work so going on vacation and being in charge of something is not (laughs) as fun so so and i'd like to point out though that jason and i set aside essentially 12 gaming hours 
of Gen Con, which is essentially a whole day of gaming, to DM um, our three sessions because what we were going for was the paid for badge called the GM badge, right? Yeah. And so it was essentially a hundred and twenty dollar savings. Um, if we did, you know, 12 hours worth of gaming, which for me was like, Hey, this is great. Cause then I can spend, you know, $120 on games or merchandise or whatever. And I still get a DM, but you know, at the end of it, I was like, well, it, it did cost me pretty much a whole day's worth of gaming that I could have gone and done other systems or tried other board games or whatever it was. Um, but if you're still interested in DMing, you could always just do one session or bring one game. Like you don't have to go for the GM badge to GM a yeah. session. You know? I might I might do that just because I I've been to a bunch of Gen Cons where I never end up playing my favorite games. I yeah. end up playing other things that other people want to do, which is fine too. Gets you out of co- your comfort zone, but you know if you have something, if you have a burning need to run a game, it's a great place to do it. And then there's lots of people who want. Hey, Gen Con doesn't work if people don't volunteer to run games, right, right. either board game, war game, whatever. So somebody yeah, has to I volunteer think... somewhere. I think I'm gonna D- GM um, a mothership session. Oh, that'd just, be a blast! Just for the fun of it, yeah, just because it's fun. That's a lot Such of a fun. That's a lot of fun. That's great. Uh, another topic for another day: a mothership yes, review. So all right. We've included all of our listeners into our show prep session of how many topics can we identify in 13 minutes? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that's pretty great. Um, okay, so. Let's move on to kind of what's what type of gaming stuff caught our eye in the news. Uh, Jason, why don't you take us away? Uh, <laughs> yes, start with that one. Start with that one. Okay, so there's a, been a giant Kickstarter that kicked off and funded really fast. Um, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say I don't see it, man. Uh, so it's the level up game table right a portable tabletop extension uh so it basically if let's say that you've always got like a bunch of crap on your table and none of us have kitchen tables it seems ever big enough to fit all of the components and maps and everything that uh go on the table when we play these giant games like you know arkham horror or um i don't know just other games that's a good example not to mention your drinks and your snacks and yeah, your drinks, pad of paper snacks. and your pens and you'll see like when you go to like gaming pubs they they have you know there's little tricks they have like the drink holders actually attached to the table so your drink's not on the table it's in a little cubby and stuff but so these guys said hey let's let's make this table that has these legs and you can actually put another table like a multi-tier table turn your table into a multi-tier table so now you've got kind of a sub table that sits you know maybe i don't know what is it like six five to six inches yeah up off of your current table with a bunch of legs <laughs> as i'm watching it i'm watching the kickstarter number continue to go up as people are funding this now so describe obviously the, describe this the is a legs. good idea for you a, have to describe the legs of this table though what are they the legs? Yeah. They're, they're like, oh, they're like little, I don't know, like four I, millimeter, four millimeter diameter posts with little I saw a picture of soda cans hold, holding one up. Oh, no, 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 no. If you, okay, that would be goofy. If you scroll down, if you go to their Kickstarter page and you scroll down, uh, level, the level up, uh, the, I think it's actually called the level up. Yep. It's the name of the Kickstarter page. And just scroll down, you'll see the picture of the legs. Um, so they're little, they're kind of like this little post. 
the thing okay so we've described something that seems like a cool idea and i think it is a cool idea and i think it could be for some situations like if you do the really small one that sits inside the table so that your drinks and crap can kind of be on the outside my concern is that i feel like it's a recipe for like a disaster with absolute the table. disaster like what happens if like you know you go to grab your drink and you raise it a little bit you bump the table you bump the thing or you know i and feel like it, it tips could over just, tips yeah. over everybody else's drink on the other side of the table game pieces are flying everywhere could you imagine playing like scythe on that game oh, on that oh table gosh. and then yeah. tipping it it reminded me of those pizza parlor things you know and the, the, oh, yeah. they used to have the pizza and that's great for tables. pizza <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why gaming pizza. reminds me of food, but um, <laughs> but no, um, I, I'm with you. I looked at it and went. Uh, so uh, I, let me give them some credit. If this is something that attaches onto anybody's table, good bully for them, right? You could use it on any kitchen table. I'm guessing that's what it's for, right? You just it's yeah, a table that sits on a table. So it gives you more real estate too, right? I'm so if you these... only have like a four by not even a four by like a, a a three by four kitchen table. All of a sudden, you've got double that amount of real estate that you can mm-hmm. put stuff on. I mean, I am one of these gamers that's constantly chasing the table dragon, and I'm never happy with what I have. Um, I, you know, and I've thrown money, some money at it. You know, you start out with Costco tables, and then you move up to tables that are designed for gaming that are the right size. You know, four feet by six feet. But those are crappy for RPGs, and what you really want is something that's like twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, that's got ever, like I LED lights and chargers built in, and all that stuff. Right. I so, think it's, and yeah, and it's important, Dan, to give it credit. The cool, the thing that's really cool about this table is its interlocking uh, grid system. Like the components of the table, it actually breaks down very small. Like you could throw this table into your backpack, kind of a thing. And that I think that is cool. So if you think of it as a table by itself, um, that's cool. Like if you're just going to get something and just set it up, you know, on the floor or something. I think what I'm worried more about is is the implementation of it on top of another table that's got soda cans. And if it's me and a bunch of adults that are paying attention to what we're doing, cool. Because half of I mean, all of us are used to like having our drinks, you know, in the middle of the game board and not spilling it on the on the components. I just think my kids are going to knock that thing and it's going to go flying. What's the uh, what's the buy-in cost for a table? Uh, looking at it right now, um, I'm trying to find the one that it looks like 56 pounds or no 48 pounds, so about 62 bucks. Okay, it's not bad um, if if you want something that's an interlocking breakdown table, but I don't know. I just feel like there are several other things you could kind of come up with. If somebody just wants a complete solution, there you go. So there, think, there is a market for yeah. inexpensive solutions. Right. I mean, I dropped on my alpha table a 200, 250 bucks or something like that. You know, and it's not perfect. It's very, very useful, but it's not perfect. That's, yeah. And I, I think it's a very useful table because it's so portable. But when you have one of those things up, it, it feels kind of rickety. Yeah. Especially the when you're table. playing minis over it. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, no, I, you know, the problem is, is you, you just have to, your furniture has to adapt to your, your square footage of what you got, you know? Yeah. So. Anyways, yeah. more, more power to them. I think it, I think it's the interlocking components that allow you to break it down. 
I think is probably the is what would grab me to want to buy it. But in terms of putting it on top of my actual table to put components on it, I don't know if I'd want to do that. So um, cool. thanks for that, Jason. I it, keeping with the Kickstarter theme. We've actually got a couple Kickstarters. I feel like a bunch of Kickstarters came out just after the first of the year. Am I wrong on that? that it feels like a, a bunch dropped. But um, uh, anyway, you don't drop the, them before the you don't drop them before the Christmas holiday. Yeah, That's I mean, why would you, right? Yeah. So um, anyway, one of the Kickstarters that came out that caught our attention, and especially me being a mini guy, is uh, Hero Forge 2.0's full color custom miniatures. Um, the crazy thing about this is they were going for forty thousand dollars. They now have two point two seven six million dollars pledged to this goal literally we're talking about this 20 minutes ago and it was 2.75 million dollars so they've gained a thousand dollars within 20 20 minutes on this like they are going gangbusters on this um this is kind of revolutionary in the miniature game in the sense that you can customize your miniature you get to choose the legs the hands the arms the head the face the hair any accessories you want, the type of armor you want, the type of cloth that you want, and they can print that to whatever colors you want. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with 3D printing. For the most part, you get one color and then you got to paint it yourself, and they've got lines in it. Well, that's not the case with Hero Forge. They're going to print it out for you, and it is custom colors. You can decide what it is. It's pretty amazing. Um, they've got kind of three options that you can go basic unpainted. So you just get your gray mini, you can go, um, the color printed. So, you know, like they'll have the, the actual materials that are being used for that, uh, component is a, is a specific color, or you can go higher detail and have them professionally paint it for you, which is obviously going to cost a little bit. But, um, one of the things that is cool about Hero Forge is that, it's a it's customized, right? Um, if I am playing a uh, wood elf uh, barbarian, for example, which you don't see a lot of wood elf barbarians, <laughs> but I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure they're out Somebody's there. Somebody's got one, and we're laughing at that guy, and he's yeah. a genius. And you know what? You're not gonna go into a game store and find the you know the Nolzar's magnificent miniatures. I'm sure I butchered that name, but you know the D and D minis that are out there, or a WizKid mini, and find a Wood Elf Barbarian that suits your taste. You can on Hero Forge, though. No. I mean, you can you can come up with anything you want, and if you're not the greatest painter in the world, or you don't have all the paints or the brushes or the tools or whatever, you can have it printed or painted for you. And there you go. You go to your next game, and you've got your Wood Elf Barbarian ready to go. It's pretty yeah, amazing. Those, those printers cost like $200,000 a pop. But, you know, apparently they've raised enough money to turn a profit on at least getting one. I worry about the number of people that have signed up and what the line is going to look like now to get yours out of there. Yeah. That's a good point. Getting in the queue, right? But uh, I, I think it's great. I, I, I've tried to paint minis. They all look horrible. I buy a lot of <laughs> Wizards of the Coast minis because they come pre-painted. I love a pre-painted mini. So anything that lowers the barrier for guys like me who are not going to go sit down and do the time is, you know, take the time to learn how to paint, execute it well. It's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Yeah, so the um, the buy-in is, at, at the lowest level, is $39. 
Now, that's $40 for a mini, but it is fully colored, customized the way you want it to go. Um, if you were to buy a miniature for, uh, like, a D&D &D miniature that's not customized, um, you know, like, so you may be settling, you know, on the kind of miniature you get, that's going to cost you anywhere from 5 to $8. And then to have somebody paint it for you is probably going to be another 10 to 15 if you were to do it that way. Um, so you're talking... I don't know, somewhere between twenty and twenty-five dollars to have a fully painted, you know, off-the-shelf D and D mini. And some of, some of our listeners may not be familiar with how customizable Hero Forge is. You yeah. go in and do the facial expression. Oh, you can and, do a and smirk. The pose. You can do a scowl. Hand positions. There's so many infinite combinations, and they're constantly adding new costumes and new weapons and items all the time. It's pretty. It's pretty awesome. Um, so, and the interface is really easy. It, if it's something you've been considering, I would say back this thing because it, you probably won't. To, to get this deal again, I guarantee you it's going to be like 50 bucks for uh, yeah. for uh, Hero Forge Mini later on. You know My what I problem mean? is, as soon as I want to customize a mini, Justin, somebody ends the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> or you die. You die. <laughs> Like, oh, there's 40 bucks on this custom mini. Yeah, but you have him forever. He's forever in your heart. So, there's that. Uh, let's see. What other Kickstarter? Dan, uh, Dan, you want to talk about Dark Tower? So, Dark Tower, it's a game I wasn't really familiar with until this dark t uh, until the Kickstarter came out. But having a, a, a tower in the middle of the game board that's an interactive part of the game and it's dropping skulls and it's like another kind of AI thing, not AI. Maybe that's a, a you know a, a step too far, but it's another fantasy adventure thing. It looks really cool. So is it like is it like Descent type of thing? I think it's a cooperative fantasy game. You know, it's it's it hits all those tropes, the classic tropes. I believe I'm not an expert on this, so if I'm speaking out of school, you know, I apologize. But I have been getting a lot of ads for this game in my feed. So they're pushing the campaign pretty hard. But the, inter the interaction of the tower, the tower just isn't like a cool prop in the middle of the game board to make it look cool. You know, it's got motors in it. It's rotating. It's got chits. It's dropping that affects gameplay. So, you know, it's a lot of we talked last time about apps that you play with and how they interface with the game, how that adds to the experience. Well, now there's a robot that's going to drop stuff on you and you hope you don't get hit by something. So. It's a totally different thing. We've got some friends that have already joined the Kickstarter, so I'm looking forward to playing it when it shows up. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. Okay. Uh, oh, and any how other much, items how much in the did it, Sorry, Justin. How much yeah. did it... It was up to a couple million bucks, right? Um, I am not sure. I can look it up real quick, though. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it seems to be going gangbusters, and I see... It, so it went to four four million. Jeez. Wow. Wow. So that's maybe what we need to do is develop our own game and then get a million dollars off of it or something. Right? <laughs> right. It's it's easy. What are we doing? It's Woo! easy. I, I mean, in all honesty, it, well, here, here's another topic. The role of Kickstarter funding a lot of gaming companies, right? Uh, like cool minis or not, CMON. I mean, they started out as just like a little miniature 
thing, and then they started putting out some games. They got big ones like Zombicide that came out. They got other um, big miniature games, and and like now, anytime they put out any kind of miniature games, it's pulling in like four or five million dollars because like they know like the, what the quality is of of the those types of games, and they come with a lot of minis. Mm-hmm. So. Minis uh, is a times. big thing right now, man. It, yeah. It pulls if you have good looking minis, you can pull people to back your project, I think, even if the no one understands the mechanics yet. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what we okay. need to do. We need to sculpt our own minis. Easy day. Yeah. yeah. I mean I'm not gonna lie to you. The one of the reasons I got interested in Deep Madness was because of all of the amazingly sculpted minis. Part of me was like, well, even if the game sucks, they're gonna be fun to paint. <laughs> Dark Souls but, is insane. Those miniatures are not miniatures; they're miniatures. They're crazy. Yeah, they're they're pretty big. Pretty. Big. That's an interesting one though, because they had they had a franchise they had to live up to uh, when they created that game. Uh, That's an true. established franchise that you know they they knew they had they could disappoint um, with that. Great game. Yeah, they did a great job putting it to uh, the board. Uh, all right. Any, anything else in the news that caught your guys' eye? I just want to give a shout out to Joe Manginello. I can't pronounce his last name for t- introducing D and D to a bunch of kids who are under treatment at a children's hospital. Um, what a classy, classy guy to go do that. Him and his brother um, spending time with kids that are kind of shut in um, for health reasons and. And introducing fantasy to them and, and having them kind of their minds expand a little bit. You know, the kids are in rough place when they're in long-term care. And I just, you know, hearing uh, that, a, that a celebrity and his brother would take that kind of time out of, you know, their, you know, L.A. actor lifestyle celebrity day just, you know, to hang out with these kids is, is really heartwarming and really reflects great on the hobby. Listen, Joe first captured my heart by being in the latest Pee Wee Herman movie. He's so just a solid dude. I I just I mean I was like a fan of him then, but now like you know I mean he can do no wrong. Yeah. Uh, there was uh oh, and speaking of D and D celebrities, um, it looks like there's a new D and D source book, which is going to be one of the biggest products Wizards oh, of the yeah. Coast has ever put out for D and D for Critical Role. Yeah, this is the this is the big one, right? Like this is the one that um. Uh, Matthew Mercer was working on. It's the Explorer's Guide to Wildemount. And um, basically, it's the source book for his whole world that he created for Critical Role. And um, it's pretty big. I, I mean, what do they say? It's, uh, it's going for about 40 bucks. And um, there's 304 pages of materials in there that you can create your own campaign. There's four starting adventures in four different regions. Um, there's three different subclasses of um, you know for your characters. A uh, couple of different um, m- different magic uh, spells and and a kind of a different brand of magic. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot in here. I think that they he did a really good job of pulling pulling all this stuff together. Um, it's it's gonna be huge. I mean, it's it's essentially a new D and D realm. Like we're talking like there's you know Eberron, there's the Forgotten Isles, there's I mean there's N- all none these... of those combined are gonna sell as much as this book. 
I agree. About I agree. Fifty percent of new D and D players are coming into D and D through um, Critical Role, so that's not insignificant. Wizards of the Coast understands where their customers are coming from, which is interesting because um, you saw that Critical Role—they're kind of doing their own thing, but now they've fully gotten lock and step with Wizards of the Coast. I think that both of them realize that they are better together than working separate. That they will definitely conquer the world together. Yeah. The world of role-playing. Woohoo! Yeah, so I it looks really I need to grow cool. my hair out long like Matt Mercer so I can be cool. <laughs> Is that what makes Matt Mercer cool? It's his hairdo. I tried it. It doesn't work for everybody. No. No. <laughs> Very good. Well, I'll be looking forward to seeing kind of the contents of that book. Um, you can order it now. Um, it's available for pre-order, and they said that it ships on March 17th. So that's only a month and a week away. A month and two weeks, I guess. So not too long before it would ship. So you'd probably see it by the end of March if you pre-order it. So, yeah, pretty cool. Um, I'll be interested to see how many campaigns start up after that. Uh, let's see. All right, well, let's get into our topic of the day. Um, it's going to be some stats somewhere that's like every five minutes there's a new campaign starting. Every time a bell rings, <laughs> right? a tiefling gets his wings. That's right. There you go. <laughs> somewhere in the world, right now, someone's rolling up a character. That's right. Somebody just got 18 on an attribute. Yes! <laughs> so, so speaking of um, rolling up characters... Um, let's talk about kind of our topic of the day, which is a game review of D&D Beyond, um, which is the online character and campaign management system that Wizards of the Coast has put out for primarily DMs, but players can take advantage of it too. Um, have you, do you guys, are you guys too, are you familiar with D&D Beyond? Have you used it at all or poked around on it at all? Um, my nephews are obsessed with it. They run all their campaigns off of it, and they don't yeah. pin nickel. Really? So maybe one of them will have like a starter set, and then they go straight to beyond. And I watched them, you know, recently when I was visiting out west, and they were just on that site nonstop. And so, you know, I'm old school. I get out the book and I get a I photocopy a character sheet with a pencil. But these kids, man. They are min-maxing on D&D Beyond and making cool characters. And I'm sitting there going like, well, you know, it doesn't have, I, you know, but I bought this book and it should have all my feeds <laughs> and it should have all my talents and it doesn't and it's not perfect. And why do they want to charge me twice? You know, you know, nerd complaint, nerd complaint, nerd complaint. My teenage, young teenage nephews don't give a crap. They, that is the thing that's fueling their, their D&D straight up. So the interesting thing uh, from my personal exp uh, experience is I've only ever bought the DM guide um, for D&D, &D, right? The DM manual. Um, that's the only book that I've ever bought. I didn't even buy the player's handbook. However, when D&D &D Beyond first launched, they had a they had a deal where it was like $180 or something like that for their entire library content on D, D beyond at that point and it was like 50 percent off like it was like retail would have been like 400 dollars or something like Jeez. that and i said 180 dollars like i just happened to have it at that moment and i said i'm doing it so i ended up buying it 
I ended up buying it because um, when I went into D&D Beyond, I could, you could roll up a, a pretty basic character. But one of the things that I noticed that is like, unless you bought the player's handbook, you couldn't get into some of the sub-factions that were available mm-hmm. in the player's handbook to customize your character. So, like, you couldn't do a um, a wood elf. You could only just do a generic elf. You couldn't do a... Or, or like, a hill dwarf. You couldn't do that. Like, because the player handbook wasn't unlocked, you just had the very basic stuff. Um, so, when I went to go look up some of the other source materials as well, because I didn't have, you know, the... the um, Dungeons Master's Guide in there, or or the Monster Manual, like some of those things weren't pulling up for me because I didn't have the content. So when that sale came out, I ended up getting it, and it was pretty awesome because what it did is it pulled in all the subclasses from all of the other books. So um, the Into the Abyss had some interesting monsters that weren't in the Monster Manual or the Player's Guide, you know? Um... I think the um what was the the giant one the storm oh oh uh, yeah I'm blanking I, I keep saying stormcast but that's ages of war <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, uh, oh gosh get remember. with the program just yes man I'm totally blanking here but um anyway um that giant one uh you know where you went to the 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 lightning giants place they had like some subclasses in that book that you could customize your your things to and that would automatically populate into the character creation sheets so i thought that that was pretty slick to be able to pull in all of that stuff um now um here here's some of the pros of it here and 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 this is part of even part of the free to use app so if you can create your character and you like it this is a great thing to use on like a tablet or I guess phone to a certain extent, but it's really built for a tablet. You can put that tablet in front of you and it's your whole character sheet, right? And the best thing about it is you're like, okay, I'm going to cast Magic Missile here. Boom. And you cast it and you can tap on that and it'll count it as one of your spell slots. So you just have to tap it and you've already marked down like how many spells you've used, right? And then when you click on like um, take a long rest. Boom. All of that stuff clears out automatically so that you're ready to go next time. It does the same thing with some of your uh, inspiration points. It does the same thing with ammo. So, like, if you have a DM who is really kind of, like, particular about, like, keeping track of how many arrows you have in your quiver, like, every time you shoot, you can just tap it and it'll make that arrow, you know, count go down. Um, and it's just a super easy way of keeping track of it. Rather than, you know, being like, oh, wait, did I mark it here on my sheet last time? Or where did I put it? And um, it's just really um, super easy to level up. When you level up, it, it prompts you through like, okay, well, you're at this level now. You get to choose a new spell. You get to choose. You can choose either um, a character stat or a feat. Which one would you like to do? I mean, it walks you through the whole process, and it's almost foolproof. Especially like um, where sometimes there's some confusion about like, okay, uh, my... Um, uh, my hit my hit roll dies, um, and if I roll a certain amount, then I get hit points from that. It'll calculate all of that stuff for you. Um, so it's 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 really nice. You can um, print it out. Like I used to update it on D and D Beyond and print it out for my game before every game, and uh, you can print it out and mark on it, or you can run it from your phone or tablet. Um, so it's pretty cool. And obviously, if you've got the source materials, you can customize it more. 
Um, but one of the cool things is if, if you do get a subscription, so let's say I am the DM and I get a subscription and I've got all the source materials, right? Um, if I pay the monthly fee, I can have up to 12 players under, like, utilize my subscription, which means that if Dan and, and, and Jason, if you guys were to create characters under my campaign that I'm setting up, you have access to all of my source materials. You haven't invited me, and I'm already offended. <laughs> well, I, I haven't paid for the subscription. So that's the thing. It's like, um, you know, even the free account, like, I can't invite you to use all of my source materials. But if I paid for the subscription, I could. And the cool thing is is that I've got, all, I've got a bunch of um, uh, campaign books, right, that I can run the campaign from the thing. And there's points where, you know, you can level up or, or give – different items and it, it integrates pretty well um with the campaign and and keeping track of the characters within that as well so um it's, it's pretty cool because the dm can allow people to piggyback on there and, and he can get into the character sheets and kind of you know if somebody's messing around with something he can kind of make sure that everybody's keeping on track i mean that's one of the hardest things is it's like everybody sets up their characters and the dm's like okay let me see your character sh character sheets and someone's like Oh, okay. Here it is. And you can barely read the writing, or whatever. You know, <laughs> like I don't know if you filled this out correctly like, or not. They feel <laughs> like it's like an oversight moment. That's like what you know. You think I'm cheating? You know, it's right. like you feel like you're being accused of cheating to hand over a character sheet. Yeah, yeah. It's so, so much better to just lowjack everybody on D and D Beyond, so you can just you can just lurk them. Well, so much and, better. <laughs> that's true. And I, I'll be honest, too, like the character creation process online is so much simpler because it just literally takes you through, you know, through step by step. And um, so the the margin for error is much uh, smaller by doing it on D&D &D Beyond than it is, if you know, especially with new players. And they're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to roll. What do you mean yeah. I'm supposed to roll, like, three dice and take my two highest mm -hmm. or whatever it is, you know? Uh, that margin for error is so much smaller because you just, just, it'll say, roll these dice and choose this. Boom, that's your stat, you know? And you literally go through all of them, and then it'll be like, well, choose this or this. And so um, it, you're not having to, like, give a new player a player manual and say, like, all right, just go through this book and create your character. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So like it's as, a little overwhelming. As an example, I just logged in and from scratch created a, uh, I created a rogue thief style character in about three minutes. Was it from a From start lane? to finish. Was boom, 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 clicking stuff that all seemed to make sense for the character. And now I'm staring at the character sheet, ready to play a game. You're ready to go. Just while we were talking, you were totally just distracted you were from the conversation. And that was and that was the free app right there too, right? So I yep. mean, if you got one of those simple twenty dollars starter sets from uh, Target and you weren't too crazy about the pregens that were in there, you could direct your players to go to D and D Beyond and create their own very basic character, the same same stuff as what you'd find in the pregens, and let them let them care, customize to a certain extent, and then if they like it from there then you can maybe get some more of the source material. Um, now, obviously, the biggest complaint, the biggest complaint about D&D Beyond is the purchasing it twice, right? Um, I think that that is probably the biggest hurdle for 90% of um, established RPG players out there. Wouldn't, wouldn't you think so? 
That's why I haven't done it, honestly. Yeah. Like what books do you what books do you have right now? D and D books. Uh, for five E, I only have a couple. I think I've got a player's handbook and Xanatar's guide because I was a player and I wanted to use both of those resources. But yeah, I haven't I mean, used the monster the manual or anything like that. That's right, Jason. You got the Out of the Abyss book, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, and so um, yeah, having to buy those twice is kind of a pain in the butt. I wish there was a way that you could like. Maybe scan the barcode. Scan the barcode, but I mean everybody's barcode. You're never gonna yeah. see it. We're never gonna see it. There's not enough money in RPG for them to to do that. It's just I I know how much it costs to buy developer time to build that app and to keep it going to QA that thing. Yeah. And those selling of those books is just another revenue stream next to the monthly fee. You know what yeah. might you know you know what might be nice though is if they did it like I I don't know in college you saw I saw this all the time right there would be the book that comes with the little like one time code use that you know you had to like unwrap right. like it was some sort of like publisher clearinghouse million dollar check or something like that and you would open it up and it would give you access to the online content but what if like you bought the book for forty dollars the player's handbook for forty dollars or whatever it is. And you um, were able to pull out a code there, and it gave you the online version for ten dollars. Yeah, you know you what got, I mean. You got to realize that I th- I think that's th- they know about all those options, and they could have yeah. done that. They could have vacuum sealed every player's handbook with a code. You know, they could have done everything you've just suggested. They've passed on that, and I think it's because. Of the small retailers, the local, friendly local game shops, um, when you take away the total requirement to go buy a player's handbook, your local gaming shop is going to feel that because I watched all my nephews play and they were only, you know, a group of six teenage kids had only invested, you know, 20 bucks into the starter kit and they were 100% into D&D Beyond. You know, I bought my nephew a GM screen because he didn't have a GM screen. He had a piece of cardboard so these in in our day back in the day back in the day i mean everybody would have gone at least bought one or two books so uh, i think i think wizards of the coast knows not to alienate that particular demographic by taunting them with hey why don't you just move to dnd beyond and and skip brick and mortar you know i i think though that by doing kind of a two for one where you know you can get the book and then the code for an extra ten dollars I don't know if that's totally skipping the brick and mortar. Like you can go to the brick and mortar and get the book and then get online too. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think yeah. both both people are happy. Um, let's uh, just just talking about kind of the the subscriptions that you can do. Um, there's a hero tier that's intended primarily for players. So this removes kind of the ads that you have. It allows you to create an unlimited number of characters. The free app only lets you do, like, I think five or six characters. So um, it gets a little tricky. Like, I I have, like, one for my daughter, one for my son, one for my other daughter, and then two for some campaigns that I was playing in. And I think I'm already at my limit. That's pretty generous if it's one per login. Yeah. That's pretty generous. That's true. Um, Or five per login is what I mean, or whatever, six per login. Yeah. Now, again, this is all separate from unlocking content. So I unlocked a content, so I can access that all no problem. Um, this is just about your character creation and management. Um, and so the hero tier doesn't really work for um, 
It doesn't really work for game masters because it doesn't allow the integration with the campaigns. So the master tier, so sorry, the hero tier annually is like $26, you know, build once a year, which isn't terrible. That's not, that's not a terrible price. Um, And especially if you're really into this game, like, I mean, $26 over the years, like what, 50 cents a week. Like that's not, that's that's not a lot. Right. Um, if you do it monthly, it's like $3 a month. So that, you know, works out to like $36 a year. I mean, I'm paying um, way more for Netflix and oh, yeah, uh, CBS yeah. All Access and Disney Plus. And... Now, I, you're, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Jason. I was just going to say, I think, um, for, I, have a, I have a coworker who is a huge uh, DM guy, and he he is a 100% beyond. Um, him and I both were in it when it, we beta tested D&D Beyond. Yeah. I kind of made a test for a little bit, but I just really loved the books just because I was so used to the books. But he was he was just straight into the digital. He, ne- he never buys a book anymore. Yeah. He's, I, I was like, hey, you know, you should check out this. Uh, this was really cool. And he's like, oh, yeah, I picked it up on uh, Beyond. And like, he, he will never buy another hard book because when he plays, he sets up his DM screen and right on the other side of that DM screen is a tiny little, tiny little, uh, you know, Chromebook. Yeah. yeah. And he just got it up. Or it's ta- or he's got his tablet and it's just up and he's just got everything right there in that little tablet instead of having seven to eight books stacked on an additional table yeah. sitting next to him because there was no room behind the DM screen. Yeah, and, and let's be honest, if the search feature is any good, uh, that's like printing your own money. To be honest, because so, I some of the stuff is times. awesome. Like can't I was running times I've had to flip through book after book after book. Going, yeah. oh, oh yeah. I know there's this thing here, I just can't find it. Control F in the real world. Yeah, and so, like, I was running the Sunless Citadel campaign for my kids, right, which was just a great little dungeon crawler, and it was in the, um, uh, it was in the... Tales from the Yawning Portal. Yeah, yeah, Tales from the Yawning Portal that came out, and so I was running that adventure with him, and what was great is they would find an encounter, and it said, you know, like, the party encounters four orcs at this part. Well, you could hover over the orcs, and their entire stat sheet pulled up. If you just yep. hovered over it, and I'm like, cool stuff. awesome, because now I can roll it, and I don't have to like flip back and forth to a monster page to figure out like what their stats are. You know what I mean? I can just hover over it, and I keep my spot, and I keep going. So it's pretty awesome. Uh, now the master tier that I think is great for dungeon masters um, and player groups, it's fifty four ninety nine a year if you do it annually. It's five ninety nine a month if you do it monthly. So six dollars a month. Um, listen, this is one of those things that. If you have a dedicated group of people, this is worth a conversation to say, listen, I can give you access to all of this content and we can kind of run the campaign in there. It'll help, you know, we can buy the book, we can have all this stuff. Um, there are six of us. If we all paid $10 for the year, then we can do this. Do you know what I mean? And, and have access to all of it and, I, and help have it run more smoothly. And I think that a lot of people would like that. Having your character sheet in game on a tablet or a little Chromebook is fantastic. I mean, some people love the pen and paper, but it's 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 a pretty slick interface now. And it's great that it's not some third party doing this on the slide to like avoid copyright. And there's so many apps like that where somebody's trying to make a buck off of an IP, and they they have to change things and make it look like it's not what it is in order for it to be on the app store. So the fact that this is like a corporate sponsored thing there's a point in the future and i don't know what day that will be when you know there's no hardbound books no paper character sheets no plastic dice 
And to get there is what D&D and beyond is. We're just not there yet fully. So whether it's this decade or the next decade, there'll be a point in time where we go, oh yeah, remember when we did RPGs and we had to have those uh, those dead trees. And, and um, I'm just glad they're doing it. I'm glad they're leaning into the future. It'll be interesting for me to see what other game systems decide to... Um, integrate technology. I mean, our whole last episode was about technology. I actually think that this is a good use of technology. If you're into D&D, I think it's worth the investment, um, especially if you haven't bought a lot of books. You can buy them online instead of like a hard one and then have everything right there forever, essentially. Even if you cancel your subscription, you still have access to the content that you had purchased, right? So um it'll be interesting to see like you know some of these more indie games like maybe a shadow of the demon lord system or let's say star wars ffg like what kind of technology are they going to move to if at all you know um given the popularity of the D D beyond that's kind of been moving so something to kind of keep keep an eye on as we move forward the fact that it mm. didn't crash and die should put everybody on notice because when it first came out and it was in beta there was a lot of hand wringing a lot of hand wringing yeah but here we are all all these months and months and months later and it's just picking up a lot of steam so it they one well, and they, they keep may have coming out with nut. yeah they keep coming out with new stuff I, I just noticed the other day that there was an encounter builder where you don't have to do the math so much anymore. You just say, here's my party of all these people, and I want to build a hard encounter. And you can kind of, you know, choose the monsters you want, and it'll tell you if that makes a hard or too hard or easy encounter for them. You know, I mean, before it was like, okay, well, there's this many points per day that they can fight, and this many points per encounter. Otherwise, it's lethal. You know, and I would argue, and, I would argue that that calculator is a little bit of a band aid on poor game design. But I'm not going to use this as an opportunity to slap D and D upside the head for not being perfect. <laughs> fair but, enough. Um, you know, I uh, the, the fact that they day. have that is great. You know, any time that they can put things underneath the hood and nobody sees the engine running, that's fine. But at the same time. Uh, you know, there's too many random encounter tables for my RPG taste in D&D where it feels like time not well spent when, you know, and so anyway, I'll get off my high horse now. I'll shut up. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, if you guys haven't um, checked out D&D Beyond, go ahead and go to their thing. Sign up for a free account. I mean, it's super easy. And again, it's free. You can poke around on it. Jason just created a character. So who knows if he's going to go off and play this week with it. Um, you know, maybe by himself even. We just TPK'd his whole group <laughs> while we were on this conversation. That character yeah. is dead. That's oh, right. he's dead. He's, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's already dead. Oh, awesome. fireballed. Well, thank you everybody for joining us this week on Tabletop and Beyond. We very much appreciate you listening to us. Uh, please, uh, if, you, if you like the podcast, give us some feedback, like it, share it, uh, send it out to your friends. Let's get a community going up. We'd love to hear from you and, and, uh, you know, build build something together. So thanks for listening. Later. See you guys. Take care.